The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Halen, the Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm excited to announce today's guest, Matt Eisenacher, Senior VP of Brand Strategy and Innovation at First Watch. Thanks for doing this, Matt. Always, always nice to take a step away from the business and uh, reflect and talk about it. So happy to be here. Very cool. Um, uh, before I start to, to grill you about the business, uh, can you just talk a little bit about your role at First Watch, how long you've been there, uh, and, and maybe any interesting uh, career stops prior? Yeah, I, uh, I've been at First Watch now for about four years. Uh, we're based in uh, Bradenton, Florida. And uh, as you said, I'm the Senior Vice President of Brand Strategy and Innovation. So essentially, uh, I'm, a, I'm responsible for uh, brand marketing and uh, customer technology. Previously, I was the chief concept officer at Piata Italian Street Food based in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, started my career in finance and then you know, migrated over to the world of brand and marketing. So kind of have a good blend of both the art and the science of, uh, of marketing. Very cool. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of noise, obviously, since the start of the year in terms of consumer spending and traffic and all that good stuff. Um, can you share any interesting tidbits about uh, what you and the team are, are seeing from the consumer right now? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually take that behavior back even a little further because, you know, I think with the, the rate of change uh, we've seen with the consumer over the past three years has been incredible. I mean, you think about, you know, I, I've been in this industry for a while and the rate of change and, and change in behavior we've seen over the past three years since 2019 is, is unreal. And I think, you know, what, what we've seen is that people are being more discriminant about where they spend their money. They're not going to gamble with their dollars. So you, in the industry, you're kind of seeing a bit of a polarization. You see, you know, like QSR brands that are moving towards one extreme and learning how to take another um, click out or another second out of a, of a transaction and, and, and are being successful with that. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have uh, consumers that are seeking an experience. I mean, you see all the stuff about travel and you know, travel hitting all-time highs. And same goes through restaurants as well, that if you're going to go out to a, a full-service occasion, that you're going to want something that's going to feel special and you're going to want to go somewhere where it's going to be an experience and that you want to talk to someone about. And so, you know, we, we kind of see people um, pushing across uh, those two polar extremes. And, you know, we still we feel great about where we've been because, um, you know, we offer a very consistent experience and, Things like our seasonal menu are ways that we can continue to surprise and wow uh, customers, so that you know it's it's the experience worth their uh, worth their dollars. Very cool. And what uh, what are the demographics of the first watch customers? Well, the cool thing about breakfast is breakfast is incredibly broadly appealing. I mean, when you look at our who's in our restaurants, um, 
all backgrounds, all ethnicities, income levels. I mean, that's, again, the beauty of breakfast. You know, I think I like to say that, you know, we, we've been around for 40 years. And if you looked at, say, the first 30 to 35 years, um, you know, we were we were a very traditional type of, of breakfast, you know, a little bit maybe closer to a diner type offering. And you might have heard people say, oh, that, that's the place that I go to with my grandma. You know, that was, that was you know, years ago. And as we've kind of evolved the brand over the past five to 10 years, you know, we've also started to attract a different kind of customer. So we kind of think of it in two different segments. We have what we call the traditionalist. That's the person we just talked about. That's like, you know, come in on a Wednesday, get a traditional breakfast, uh, you know, some hot coffee, and it's kind of a ritual for you. And you kind of stay in your, in your groove and, and that's your thing. Um, most recently we started to attract, you know, I'd say someone that's a little bit more of a foodie and um, is looking for higher quality. They like to try new things. They like to try new restaurants. Uh, we call them the trendy aspirational. And the cool thing about First Watch is we we attract both of those. So, you know, it's, for us, it's a little bit less about demographics than it is psychographics. Um, and, and we think that we have the ability to continue to attract both of those types of uh, customers. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's, it's a great, it's a great concept. It's a great brand. My son and I both love it. Um, yeah, he's a big fan. What do you get when you go? So, oh man, I, I, uh, well, you got to get the million dollar bacon, right? And, um, (laughs) you know, I've changed it up, man. Sometimes I'll get the chia pudding. Um, sometimes I'll get an omelet, but, uh, you know, to be honest, my, so you're more, you're, you're a trendy aspirational then. It sounds like you want to you want to dabble in a little bit of everything and try new things. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, full disclosure here, I intermittent fast, so I, I don't get there as much as I probably would like. But uh, my my son is is a big fan, and he gets there every chance uh, that he can. You know, um, so you know, one thing I've seen over the last year, especially uh, chains that are have been able to attract high income consumers are kind of gaining some share here. And I, I think it might be because of the K-shaped recovery, uh, right? Higher income consumers obviously have done really well, saved a lot of money over the last few years where lower income consumers um, are, are maybe are, are struggling a little bit since the end of, of stimulus. So are you doing anything to specifically target uh, higher income consumers? And, and if so, how are you doing it? No, we don't, we don't specifically target them. Now, I, I think our offering, just by the nature of our menu, um, we do tend to be a, a very relevant for higher incomes as well. But, but frankly, we have um, trade areas that we've opened up that we're in, you know, moderate income areas, and, and we do fantastic. So we don't target them. But when you look at that customer I was talking about, that newer, again, trendy, aspirational customer, they tend to skew a little bit closer to places like Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, you know, shop, you know, places like Nordstrom. So, so by that nature, um, you know, those types of individuals do make their way into a first watch, but it's not something we intentionally try to try to attract. But, you know, again, by focusing on things like our revolving seasonal menus, that changes five times a year. We're able to kind of be out in more progressive um, trends within the culinary universe. And so, you know, those types of individuals that are seeking that type of experience, you know, are, are really attracted to a place like first watch. Great. And so, you know, everything that, that we hear is that is how much employees love that one shift, one menu model that you have. Uh, and I was very impressed with the turnover metrics uh, in the S1 when, when the company went public uh, a couple years back. Are there any updated turnover metrics that, that you'd like to share? We, we've been consistent. I mean, we, we always, 
you know, enjoy a benefit of being below industry uh, turnover rates. And again, like you said, it's those individuals that are willing to wake up at 5.30 a.m. and are motivated to come in when the sun, sun rises just by by that nature, you know, you, you attract some really great individuals. And, you know, that along with, um, you know, our, our youth first culture and our focus on our employees, uh, we, we really feel like that's been an advantage for us through the last few years where obviously you've read all the articles, you've seen it yourself. It's been a, it's been a really wacky employment environment, uh, but we've, all, we've always felt like we have a, a unique advantage um, within that, um, within the employment world. For sure. Uh, I think a big thing is just it's easier to, to, you know, have a family when you have a relationship and a family when you have normal work hours. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, we we have a focus there where, you know, if we find out the teams are getting out beyond 430 in the evening, like we, we want to know what is going wrong. What can we do to help? I mean, it's the consistency of knowing that you can leave and, you know, be home for dinner consistently and and you can get your kids off the school bus or have a hobby at night is is really really important and and so i, I don't know if you're going to ask me this everyone always asks are you going to open for dinner and and it's a resounding no <laughs> i mean because so i know better forget, matt like yeah, yeah so we always get the question but you know difficult things can happen in restaurants at night and you know that 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 second shift really becomes difficult and so now our managers get to meet and see every customer and they get to be in the restaurant with every one of their employees. So that's, it's really unmatched. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so what's, what's driving the change strong traffic growth right now? It's nothing sexy. You know, we, we say this a lot that uh, sometimes, you know, we might sound a little boring because, you know, frankly, especially over the last few years, you know, I was talking about how discriminate the, the consumer is. Um, it, hot food, hot, cold food, cold, smiles, little things like opening the door, right? I mean, these are like, we have very particular steps of service that are very ingrained in our culture. And, you know, while the customer over the last few years has had a lot of question marks of where they might trust, you know, what restaurant brands they could trust, we have been very consistent. I mean, if you look at, if you look at Technomic, for instance, uh, we're always in the top five of, um, in the restaurant industry for brands I could trust. And so I guess the first, first thing I would say is um, it's a really strong focus on our teams and, and operations. And, I, you know, I'll give Chris, our CEO, a lot of credit. You know, when we were going through, say, 2020 and 2021, a lot of brands were doing things like, you know, they slimmed down their menu or, you know, they were blocking off tables. And, and, and um, you know, we, we went the other way. And we wanted to, if you wanted to get out during those times, we wanted to be a place that you just, you could trust and you knew what you were going to get. So we didn't change our menu one bit. We leaned into our seasonal menu, actually. We held off on pricing. So those types of things don't seem that sexy, but really allowed us to bring more people into First Watch that maybe had not come into First Watch before. So, so you know, we really believe that our focus there has really allowed us to produce some of the... Um, best performance in the restaurant industry over the last few years. Yeah. Running great restaurants, you know, may not sound sexy, but, uh, it works. Uh, that's for sure. Um, what's your biggest growth opportunity in the current store base? Is it improved throughput on the weekends, uh, or boosting weekday breakfast and lunch sales? Yes, it's both. But so, so the way we think about it is, uh, we talk about serving more demand and creating more demand. And, you know, I think if you if you follow us, which I'm, I'm sure you do, 
you know, at the end of 2022, we had said that our number one focus wasn't serving more demand. I mean, we have we have restaurants that you know can have waits up to 90 minutes, two hours on the weekend. We have like demand is sitting there at our front door. People that want to come in and and you know we don't have to go find. And so we started to realize that if we can really put a focus against you know um, being more efficient. I mean, in, in the last 15 years, Mike, our, a first watch kitchen really hadn't changed. And if you looked in 2019 and you came into a first watch, uh, a server would write down your order, would hand it across to uh, to the kitchen, who would then verbally call it out. And if you think of a, a, a cook who's on the egg grill and you've got a full egg grill on a Sunday, like the amount of modifications and things you have to remember, just think about the efficiency there. So, you know, we started to realize that when our, our business started to transform in the last few years, that we really looked from uh, end to end everything that was going on in our kitchens. And we've we've really been focusing on all process and procedures, roles, things like double dishwashers. Again, you talk about things that aren't sexy, but allows you to get through some of these bottlenecks, you know, bigger egg grills, um, bigger griddles. And so a lot of those things, as well as technology like kitchen display screens, have allowed us to actually, um, you know, really start to increase peak hours on the weekends. So to answer your question, that is that is the first priority. But, you know, my team also, uh, we, we've been intently um, testing a lot of uh, different ways of using digital marketing and social media to get really targeted and, and, um, and creating more demand as well. And so, you know, that's that's the type of thing that once we start serving higher peak hours on the weekends, which we're doing now, you will also uh, focus on increasing uh, during the week as well. Okay, great. Uh, can you give us an update on where the alcohol program stand, uh, stands right now? What percentage and uh, what percentage of sales are you targeting? Yeah, when you, when you go in with your son, do you, did you get a cocktail? Uh, I'm in New Jersey, man. So that that was not an option. <laughs> you know, these alcohol, the uh, the alcohol licenses are, are extremely expensive. So I'm sure it's uh, prohibitive for you here. But uh, so the answer yeah, is there no. Are, there are some, yeah, there are some pockets in the, in the country. Uh, but really, we're everywhere where we can have the program now, and it, it was incredible. We we rolled almost our whole system in about a year and a half, and and it was an incredible um, initiative because. You know, we really felt, again, if you think about that occasion of First Watch being about a place where people can come connect with others, you know, we knew alcohol uh, was a part of that. And so, you know, it's mixing at about 6%. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're a little different. So I think as you look at other uh, maybe breakfast and brunch places that really lean into, you know, a, a full bar and they're free pouring, you know, for us, we, we don't want to be defined by alcohol as the occasion um, because First Watch is a place you can come Monday through Sunday every day. And, and we always want to make sure that that's, um, it's not only about Sunday brunch, right? And so, you know, for us, it's, it was about or is about taking away the veto vote. That if, if you have a group of friends or, you know, family and someone wants a Bloody Mary, you know, we didn't want to exclude people from that. So, you know, that's, that's the role it serves for us is just, it's another option for customers to enjoy relaxing and connecting with others. And so, you know, we've continued to innovate with new offerings uh, one of our best-selling juices is uh, Purple Haze. I don't know if you've had Purple Haze, but, uh, you know, we've, we've turned that into a spiked lavender lemonade as well. And uh, we've rolled a sangria option as well. And we have a couple other um, uh, innovations that will be coming to our alcohol platform. But for us, it's about balancing that with all the other parts of our menu and our seasonal menu. Awesome. Um, 
you know, when the company IPO'd, I, I was also impressed by the unit economics. Um, very strong, especially being a, a single shift restaurant. Uh, can you give an update to those numbers? Yeah, we're we're pretty proud of them because people forget, you know, when you look at our AUVs, they're done in seven and a half hours. And you look at it compared to, you know, other places that are open for 12 hours, like pound for pound, hour for hour, we, we serve a lot of customers. And to, to your point, if you think back to uh, 2019, you know, our AUVs were around 1.4 million. And now if you look at the end of 2022, we're around 2 million for the entire, entire comp group. Um, but our new restaurants are averaging closer to, to 2.2. And, and you take that to the bottom line and we're producing, you know, 18 to 20% margins in Q1. We even eclipsed, eclipsed that. So, you know, the, the thing that we're really proud of is that we generate through those solid unit economics, really strong cash on cash returns. And we have evolved the first watch box significantly over the past few years. We're, we're adding square footage. Um, we're adding indoor outdoor bars, um, large expansive patios. We're adding more space in the back of house, dedicated make lines, extended make lines in the back. And so even with all that innovation, um, we, and, and you, we've increased some of our build out costs, but our cash on cash returns have remained really uh, steady at, at over 35%. So I think it just goes to show the amount of demand that we have for, uh, for first watch and uh, daytime eatery. Great. Yeah. Three back, uh, three year paybacks, very attractive. Uh, is this team still aiming for 130 company stores, uh, between 2022 and 2024? Yeah. So this, this year we'll open 45 to 51 and about 10 of those will be franchise. All the rest will be corporate. And while we don't give the numbers explicitly for out years, you can look at our long-term guidance and we will we'll still continue to grow at about 10% per year. So you do that math and, and the number of units, you know, consistently grows. And uh, I'll tell you, our, our real estate development team is, is the best in the industry. I mean, it is a well-oiled machine. I mean, you see how many, think about that for, you know, working right now, we're working even out until 2025 finding sites. So you think about how many units we have in our pipeline and we've been doing it for so long that it's a well-oiled machine. I mean, we don't, even with that number of units, even in the full service world, you don't feel it. You don't feel it at first watch because, you know, I think we've really understood um, how to staff and, and handle that growing number of units. I mean, you think back to some acquisitions we've had in the past um, and we've converted those units. We've had some years of some pretty significant unit openings. So uh, we're really proud of that. Great. And is the uh, long-term restaurant target still about 2,200 here in the United States? Yeah, 2,200. We have several models that have shown us uh, that 2,200 units is feasible uh, domestically. And so, you know, people people look past that. that. That's a lot. That's a lot of units. But if you look at it, you know, we have, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but somewhere around 110 in Florida. And, you know, a lot of times you look and we have some of those units a mile, two miles away from one another. And, and so, you know, we're, we feel um, really strongly that the demand for breakfast is going to continue to grow. And it's, a, it's an underdeveloped day part that, that we see a whole lot of white space and opportunity. Great. And uh, what's the split between new units that you're building uh, in, in new markets, emerging markets, and mature markets? Yeah, we're, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty strongly a third, a third, a third. So we have a third in core markets. So those are more mature established markets. We have a third in emerging markets where, 
you know, they might have a, a few number of units, but we're adding quickly to it. So a great example of that is Chicago. Um, we, we were just in a meeting the other day, you know, talking about um, unit growth. And I looked up and, and saw how many we have coming in Chicago. And, you know, we, it's just it's one of our more recent um, new markets. Uh, and then the third would be, uh, you know, brand new, brand new markets that we're entering and uh, we're really close on being able to announce uh, some of those. So we usually try to get to one a year. Sometimes it works out, a, you know, a few months off of that, but that's usually our goal. Okay, nice. Uh, and a good, a good excuse to visit Chicago in the summertime, too. Chicago is really cool in the summer. So, uh, yeah, we, we, um, we opened our first in Oak Brook second in Kildeer. And, uh, you know, we just look at the Chicago land area, the opportunity there is, is immense. Great. Um, so do you expect any cannibalization in mature markets? We don't, we don't see a lot. And, and when you, when you think about why, and you think about going back to that excess demand and those long waits, what we traditionally see is that while a, a, a unit in a mature market might be affected for a short period of time, call it, you know, six, eight weeks, what it does is it bring, brings down those weights and the weights get shorter. And so then people that probably wouldn't have come in or joined our wait list now join that list. And, and so it just rises right back up. So it's, it's really not a, a large factor for us. Even, you know, like I said, we have some units that are only a mile or two away from each other. Uh, more, more what we think about, Mike, is uh, we will occasionally strategically plan for cannibalization. I'm thinking of one market in particular where the demand was, I mean, our restaurants were busting at the seams. They just could not handle the amount of demand. The waits were so long and it was such a strain on our on our back of house and our kitchens that we went and we opened up three units right around that, you know, with the purpose of taking some of that demand and spreading it out. But at the end of the day, we ended up raising the amount of customers that we were serving in that in that surrounding area. So it really, we see is new units, you know, rising tide lifts, lifts all boats at first watch. It's great. And this question may depend on the market, but do your new stores typically open up with a big honeymoon period or they slowly build their sales volumes? You know, we've seen a big change there in the last few years to the positive where years ago, call it 10, 15 years ago, we we really would try to quietly open restaurants. Chris, Chris will tell this story. It's a hilarious story where he went to a restaurant early in his tenure here and they hadn't even received the sign on the outside of the building. He couldn't find the new unit because the sign wasn't even on the building, but they had opened. And so what we would see is slowly over time, organically, people would learn about First Watch and kind of find it and it would just slowly build. You know, now because of our success, we have been able to invest in better and better real estate. So by, you know, say five years ago, we were investing in C real estate. Now we're going and competing for A real estate, you know, right at Maine and Maine. And the visibility and the access and all of that immediately gains that awareness and, and word of mouth. I mean, we're in 29 states now. So a lot of, you know, when we move into areas, people are really excited and tell, there's like a buzz and word of mouth that you know, we're opening strong right away. And we've been holding those volumes. Um, again, it comes back to you build that awareness and people start to understand who you are. You invest in great real estate. And then we have world-class uh, operations team that brings people back because it's just a fantastic experience. Uh, how is, um, how is social media, uh, impacting, you know, sales in new markets? You know, do you guys yeah, do you I mean, have a big social media presence and, and is that helping? Cause I've seen that with other brands. You, do, you don't follow us. I do, I do not. I, I try to limit my social media exposure to be honest. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you should, you should give us a follow. Our, our team's our team's awesome, and, and we've uh, we've really grown. We really focus on Instagram. Um, it really fits our audience. You know, it, we have a presence on TikTok and Facebook, but less of a focus for us. And um, the cool thing, if you looked in our IPO materials, um, we grow our social media following much like we do how we market across the country. That we we do paid marketing for sure. But it's really about organic discovery and getting the right followers. And so when you look at our engagement rates, they're off the charts. Like if you actually look at how many people um, like or comment or engage with a post and you look at that as compared to followers, our engagement is some of the best in the industry. So our team does a does a great job. And, um, yeah, we're really proud of what, what we're doing there. Uh, what's the motivation be- behind acquiring franchise units and, and why are franchisees so willing to sell their interest in, in such a hot emerging brand. Yeah, we've talked about that. We've talked about that that is a, a big portion um, of value creation for us. Um, and, you know, let me just say first, we have amazing group of franchisees. Um, we don't have a lot of them, but the, the franchisees we have are here because they're huge fans of First Watch and they're, it's, it's a passion for them and um, they just love the brand. So, great group of franchisees but for us when you look at our you asked about the unit economics and you look at the you know what we're generating both from growing top line all the way to a really healthy bottom line and so if you look for us at the opportunity of either getting you know a royalty or operating and getting that full margin you know you can you can see why that's so attractive for us and and when you when you ask about why they would want to do that you know we've stated publicly that you know about half of our franchise agreements have pre-negotiated multiples in the agreement. So um, it's it's something that um, is just part of the, the agreement that they had signed. Um, and so for us, uh, you know, we really believe that we operate great, great restaurants. And to the extent we can uh, operate more corporate restaurants, we, we will always look to do that. Yeah, they generate strong cash on cash returns. So that makes sense. Um, you know, I think you'd mentioned that there was about 10 franchise units opening this year. Are they all being opened by current franchisees or are you still... Uh, out there looking to to bring new franchisees into the system? No, it's been several years since we've brought any new franchisee. I mean, it's been um, for for a while now. It's been a, a company uh, company focused model, corporate focused model. Um, now, you know, when when they signed agreements, they obviously do have um, you know certain number of units that they can open, and so you know there are still units that will open on the existing agree- agreements. But for us, it's it's continuing and has been all about opening corporate units. Cool. So, I, I mean, I was going to ask you what the optimal company-owned versus franchise mix is uh, for First Watch, but, um, you know, I'm guessing it's pretty high. Yeah, I mean, it's, we, we don't think about it as a percent. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, you know, we work with our franchisees to, um, to open new units through their agreements, and we're happy to do that. I mean, we see it as an opportunity to continue to grow uh, awareness um, throughout the U.S., the more units we open, the more people are aware of us. And um, so, so that's important. But, yeah, for, for us, we, we would really want to see that percent get as high as possible on the corporate side. Got it. Uh, G&A as a percentage of sales has been pretty flat, excluding the early days of the pandemic. Uh, when do you expect to make meaningful progress on leveraging your G&A? Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't expect leverage on GNA in 2023, and and a large part of that is because we believe that the stage we're in, that we have a lot of investments that we can make um, that are wise to drive our long term growth algorithm. It, KDS was a great example of that. You know, that was an investment last year that was pretty significant. But when you look 
and what that does for our restaurants. And I talked about the complexity of, you know, our kitchens previously were, you know, regulated by a human being. And so now, you know, the efficiency and the ability for, uh, especially you think about hiring and bringing in uh, new team members, the learning curve for them to, to understanding how to work in the kitchen, it just gets so much easier. And so you look at things like that, as well as, you know, you might've seen that we made an investment in increased benefits for our team members and our employees as well this year. And we look at things like that and we're not, we're not afraid to make those investments right now um, because we know that we've continued to grow uh, adjusted EBITDA um, and we have a very healthy business and strong unit economics, like you said. And so, you know, we, we haven't talked about it in not years, but, you know, we've continued to feel like we will invest to um, make sure that we, uh, you know, deliver our long-term growth algorithm. Yeah. And those, I'm sure those uh, investments in your employees are, are going to pay dividends, man. It's so important right now. That's the way we look at it. I mean, I, I, I think part of our success going back to the beginning, you asked what's driven our success is, um, we, we try not to get too distracted on what may be happening right now, but might be a fleeting moment. Like we have, we are very focused on the long term, and we, you know, like those COVID decisions that we talked about earlier, we, we, we didn't know what was going to happen in the environment, but we were looking at, you know, beyond it and saying, you know, what did we want to signal to customers uh, about the long term? And it's the same, same thing here. Great. Uh, can you talk a bit about the mobile app, digital marketing, uh, and I guess any other tech initiatives that you think listeners should know about? Yeah, it's been it's been an area that we've been spending quite a bit of time on in the last year and a half. Um, you think back to 2019, and you know every brand was beginning to invest in customer data, right? They were making the investments, they were uh, moving into determining, you know, how to leverage customer data, and then 2020 hit. And brands, I think everyone, everybody I talk to, no matter how big the brand, is is now sitting with all of this data on their laps because everything for several years went through you know digital digital ordering, and so I think what you're seeing is everyone sitting with all this data and saying how do I how do I leverage it, and you know for us we've been very methodical in in making sure that we understand what our customers are doing. Well, who is the first watch customer? How often do they come? I mean, even when you think of something like frequency, you know, it, it seems like an easy metric, but there is no standardized way in the industry right now to really, you know, look what metrics do you look at from, from a customer frequency standpoint? How do you look at it? How do you define it? And so we've spent a lot of time there over the past year or so. And, and the other thing that we're thinking really heavily about is, you know, sometimes those in a full service environment can get fearful of leveraging technology because it, it can interfere with that experience and hospitality. It can add complexity for your, for your team members. Um, it can, it can make it a little bit more transactional for customers. So what we're really focused on is how do we develop digital tools and leverage our customer analytics to enhance hospitality. And a lot of that has to do with, you have to start with your employees. You know, I, I've seen brands before that will just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, develop some out-of-the-box loyalty program and someone from the home office is setting out, you know, offers or, or whatever that might look like. And then, you know, if it's not well understood or thought through from an employee perspective, you know, that, that doesn't make anyone's life easier. And so, you know, we're spending a lot of time on how do we look at points of friction in the, in the first watch experience and how do we use technology to help both our customers and, and employees. I, I mean, I'll give you one example of that. 
if you went, I don't know if you went on a weekend, but you know, we have wait lists where a significant amount of our, our, our traffic on the weekends goes through wait list technology. And our host areas are very congested. And, and so you've got people coming in, they got to check in, people want to pay their check when they're going out. And so that's, that's an area where like, there's, there's a way where we can leverage technology here to make it better for both the customer and the employee. For sure. Uh, so what, what keeps the first watch team up at night? Culture, people, um, and, and, you know, um, growth at times for any growth brand, it, it can be something if you take your eye off that, um, it's, it's the, it's the silent killer that, that you have to be careful of. Like, so, so we, we're very, very proud of our culture. I'm, I'm sure you read all about it. We, we call our culture you first, which means we actually focus first on our employees. So they in turn, um, we'll focus on our customers and there's a lot of different things that we do to empower our employees. But, you know, you think about it, if you think of like, you know, call it 40 new employees for every restaurant and you just told you, you know, we're going to open around 50 and you think about how many new employees you're bringing in. And then every year that, that number of units is going up. And then you think of opening brand new markets, like we talked about, like culture is what happens when you're not around. And so you have to have it strengthened. Like you have to have um, culture keepers throughout the organization. So for us, you know, things like we have what's called First uh, Farm, First Watch Academy of Restaurant Management, where every month we're bringing in 35 managers from across the country. Where it's like it's all about culture. It's not about teaching you more things to do or more process and procedures. It's all about your development and culture. Or you look at something like. Um, we call it the Y tour, the We Hear You uh, tour, and it's the leadership team here directly listening. They go to every We Hear You tour, and so well, once a year, the leadership team actually um, gets on and and speaks with hourly team members from every part of the country. And our whole point is to make sure that we understand the things that may not be going well or things that they need, and allowing that communication to come directly to us. And it's the coolest thing, Mike, because we, we sit after we go through every region and we have every leader from every department around a table and we go through all the feedback and we talk about what are we going to do and how fast can we go back and show them that progress. So I say that because we, we have things in place to ensure that our culture remains strong. But, you know, that's the thing that, that it's the glue that holds everything together. So that's still the thing that keeps us up at night. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, what percentage uh, of your new units are are, um, are being staffed with managers from from existing restaurants? We, we we always bring them in from from other locations. I mean, we, we and that's great. And we have a program specifically for that because you know our um, like I said our operational systems have been decades in the making, and so we know that you have to live it within another. Uh, first watch location and you look at some of the um, locations that we've opened recently are have like we've broken a record record after record we had one um, recently that literally kept breaking its own record several times uh, at the end of last year and so you can't it's not fair to take someone brand new and just put them in there and say good luck so yeah yeah, that's a really important piece for that um, that success for sure all right, that's great, man. Well, listen, I want to I want to thank you for doing this. Uh, that was great. I'm very excited uh, to continue following the story. You work with some great people over there. Uh, it's a great team, uh, you know, and I wish you a lot of success. Um, outside, I, I guess 
would you say Instagram and TikTok uh, and the first watch oh, you website? Gotta, you got to follow us on Instagram. Yeah, for, you got you to follow us on Instagram. And uh, and also next time you go, you got to send me some pictures. We always, you know, when you go, go into a first watch, we always uh, love to see people either post pictures or send us pictures. Uh, Chef Shane is always sending around pictures from social media and he shares them with our restaurants. He's always on there on there looking. So, uh, yeah, give us a follow. All right. I'll be sure to do it. Um, cool. You know, thanks again. Thanks uh, for listening, everybody. Uh, have a good day. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.